0: The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. That's what we're talking about, life at work, professionally, um, but also as Christian people. What does that mean? We're going to unpack that. The first week you heard Pastor Joe Casiglia speak about um, his... um, Genesis chapter 2 and how God created people to enjoy the work that he gives us. That Adam and Eve were there to to work and care for the garden in this perfect creation. And work was enjoyable. And then you heard Pastor R.J. last week in Genesis chapter 3 then talk about how Satan tempted Adam and Eve to sin. And then because of that there was a curse and that curse was that by the sweat of your brow, you're going to be working for the rest of your lives in and toil and, and burdensome and thorns and thistles. Yuck. Right? Work. Work. Now, so if you, um, maybe there's something that you don't know about me, um, but people that are close to me, they, they know this, that I am a guy that doesn't like tools in my hand. I can't fix anything. I mean, you give me a tool and I ruin things. You know, I don't know anything about home repair, any of that. So needless to say, when something happens at my house, I'm on the phone with a church member or my neighbor and say, hey, help me. How, how do I fix this? You know, just put me to work. I'll lift. I'll do whatever. But, but I, mechanically inclined, forget it. Not me. The, about a month ago, uh, we had a leak in, in in our basement, and that was predominantly because of me not maintaining um, the outside elbow part of the gutter. Right? I, I fit, you know, every year, twice a year, I clean the leaves out, but I didn't really take care of that elbow piece of that gutter, and so water was seeping down. We had a big rainstorm. Thank God we fixed it. But he said, "Yeah, the the church member friend that came over, um, you need to take that apart and clean that out." and and so there was a leak in my basement and a crack in my wall. He fixed the crack in my wall, you know, the basement's still. And I'm like, oh, maintenance, maintenance, you know. And he said, you know what you should do, uh, get a lot of dirt, put it around your, your house. And so I got, I got two tons of dirt delivered, and here I am with wheelbarrow just putting the side of my house filled with dirt. Praise God, it is leak-free today. But that is, so my least favorite job in my house is landscaping. I just, you know, cutting the grass is fine. I got six kids. They, they do it. I, you know, but, but the digging and the weeding and all this kind of stuff, I just, oh, finally when I was finished with the two tons of dirt, I screamed at my wife, whoops, honey, when are we going to move into a condo? Oh, it just, and and so I was thinking about this sermon series, life at work, and the, the least favorite job, the the, the living out of, uh, you know, by the, the the sweat of my brow. Three kids, about two years, yeah, two summers ago, I had my three oldest kids. The pump, uh, the sump pump line deteriorated because of big, uh, old, large, huge mulberry tree in our backyard, and so. Uh, Estimator said, yeah, we'll take $1,000 from you. You know, just dig a trench. I'm like, I'm not paying $1,000 just so you're going to, I'll do it. Oh, boy. Hard, hard work. It seemed like for days, for days, we were out there fighting against this old mulberry tree and its roots. But I conquered one. I want to show you a picture. Ugh! Yes! I mean, it's just their roots everywhere, and I'm just, you know, my back's hurting, my hands are hurting. People tell me, "Oh, Pastor Tony, you have soft hands, right?" Well, yeah, I just type sermons, you know. It's, you know, pastors' hands they say. But when I that day, I was just so angry and frustrated, and by the sweat of my brow and thorns and thistles, and and then all of a sudden, God gave me this, huh? There's a spiritually meaningful lesson that you're learning, Tony Bowes. Yeah, God, what is that? And I was thinking about this, that the roots that I'm chopping through to dig this trench that are everywhere, it's really like the roots of sin. They start so small. But after years of working, right, of growing, and even if they're close to your heart or close to your home, after years of this root of sin, if it's not taken care of, it's going to do damage, and it's going to make your life miserable. Amen? And so what, what then I was thinking about, okay, I was thinking about the work that Jesus did in my life, the struggle that he did on the cross to take my sin upon himself and the sins of the whole world. That's what Jesus did. He did the work for us, the work that, that we couldn't do, that what I couldn't be and what I couldn't do, Jesus did. To live a holy and perfect life. That God the Father would send his son in my place to exchange my sin for the life of Jesus. The death that I deserved on the cross. The resurrection that I couldn't do. He did and God said that's acceptable to me. And he exchanged my sin for Jesus' perfect life. And that's just a great exchange. That's what he's done and I appreciate that and I look back on that and say okay God. All that experience, you teach me that and and just help me to understand more and more of your word. Praise God. Praise God. Amen? This work, this life at work series that we're in, obviously we work in our homes. We work at our jobs. We work with our kids. We work at school. We work second jobs, third jobs, all kinds of work. I mean, that's America today. We work, we work, we work. But yet one of the wisest men on earth, and he said this in the book of Ecclesiastes, King Solomon, he said these words, There's nothing better for a man to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. I know that there's nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live, that everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. That's his work. This is a what? It's a gift of God. How true that is that God's people, that I would find meaning in my work and have satisfaction in it when we cheerfully accept the work that God gives to us, no matter if I'm digging ditches, no matter if I'm typing sermons, and no matter if, if I'm coaching kids in soccer. Whatever that work would be, that I would be grateful, remembering that the work that he gives to us is from his gracious hand. It is a gift. Today we are going to look at Ephesians chapter 4, but before you go there, I just want to define a word that you're going you're to hear and see in, in, in uh, Ephesians 4, and that word is called calling. Calling. And many of you think, well, yeah, Pastor, you're called, and some of the churches that maybe you've been a part of or in this church, people are called To be a professional church worker, whether they're a a director of Christian outreach or or, or youth ministries or other pastors or teachers of parochial schools, those people are called. But calling doesn't apply just to professional church workers. God has assigned and called each and every one of us as a Christian to do a specific work in life. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says this, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Yes, I'm a pastor. My wife is a home educator. She manages our home. That's the calling we have in our life. But you might be a doctor, a lawyer, accountant, a construction worker, a teacher. Whatever it is that you are called, God has also called each and every one of us to do the same work. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but each and every one of us who are Christians, baptized in the name of Jesus, have the same calling. All Christians, they have a spiritual calling. It's a lifelong service to God that we're set apart to do a specific work. What is that? Well, Romans 12 puts it this way. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God. Our whole life is a life of service to God. 1 Peter chapter 2 says it this way, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. It was about 500 years ago in the Christian church, and maybe more so, that people would look at the life of professional church workers, of priests, of monks, of nuns, and they would see it as a a holier calling than the common Christian. That because what they do and the sacrifices they offer is is more holier and, and more meritorious in front of God than just an average Christian. But that takes away that the glory is due to, in, in Jesus. I mean, it takes away from Jesus' glory, doesn't it? That all of us are this priesthood of all believers. That's what 1 Peter 2 says, priesthood. What does a priest do? Comes between the people and God, right? Acts as a, a mediator. But we only know of one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus and his work, his one sacrifice for all time was the blessing that every Christian receives. And therefore, each and every one of you can be that mediator between a person that's lost and a holy God. That he would call you to be in your life, whatever you're doing, to be that mediator, to be a priest of God. That's a special calling. That's a privileged calling. That's a responsibility that each and every one of you have. And myself, no matter if I'm doing that as a pastor or you're doing individually in your vocation. We have an individual vocation or calling, but we all have the same calling, a universal calling to be a living sacrifice in whatever we're called to do for Jesus. So that's what calling means. I want you to uh, open up your Bibles, please. Ephesians chapter 4. It's found on page 1821, but um, you can go there. Uh, but I don't necessarily want you to, to look at those uh, verses yet, because what I'm going to do, and I never, I never really do this because I like the NIV 1984 translation. However, we're going to see it on the screens in the ESV version. The English Standard Version. The reason is it uses the word calling. So I want you to hear Pastor, uh, Pastor, it's Paul's, Paul, the Apostle Paul, um, his words to the Ephesians. And he uses this word uh, more often in this version of the Bible. So if you look on the screen, um, I will read from the ESV. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of the calling according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When He ascended on high, He led a host of captives, and He gave gifts to men, and He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Ephesians verse 1. You were what? Called. You have been called. Been called to walk in a manner worthy of that calling. This is the basis of our Life at Work series. That no matter what calling or no matter what vocation you have in your life right now, you serve Jesus. In a manner worthy of how you've been called. Because the Bible also says, St. Paul in Colossians, and whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Four times in the first four verses of this ESV version, the word call is used. And St. Paul reminds us that there's work to do, to work in a manner worthy of our calling. God just didn't send us, Jesus, so that we would immediately be saved and go to heaven. No. God called us to be living in this earth in one body, living together so that we might show the world that this kingdom of God is a reality because they see that we're acting different than the rest of the world, that we have this unity and the bond of peace that it's called, that we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. Verses 2 and 3. How do we do that? How do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling? It says to be humble, to be gentle, to be patient, to bear with others in love, unified, and pe- living at peace with other believers. This whole chapter makes it clear that we live at work and, and, and play. We live together with other believers, not isolated. We don't live that way. We're connected to one body, God's family doing life together. Together, as a group, as a church, as a fellowship of believers. And so as I thought about this and how that ties into life at work, there's three aspects of this body togetherness that I'd like to point out. Number one is this, that working together doesn't mean sameness. It means diversity. If you think about this, and if you look around the room right now, we might give one another labels that everybody in this world gives. Yeah, there's men and there's women There's black and there's white. There's old and there's young. But God created each and every one of you differently, complexly, uniquely. That he's given you gifts. He's given you weaknesses that we might all be part of the body. See, the body has all kinds of different parts. They don't look alike. But they're all uniquely made, specifically to be called to work together. And I pray... That as we grow up in this church, that we would be more diverse economically, demographically, ethnically, whatever that is. That we would work together doing that. Is that a good prayer to have for our church? Yes? Number two, thank you for being on track with me. Working together needs everyone contributing. I want you to look at verses 11 and 12 where where Paul lists particular gifts that God gives believers, that God gives some to be in this one body, the church, to be apostles, to be prophets, to be evangelists, to be pastors and teachers. Why? To equip the saints for works of service. Many times in the church, people think, you know what, that's the pastor's job to run the church, and yeah, you have a professional church worker staff, and then the the people that come to this place, the members, well, they just come and attend on a, on, a, on a weekend. But that's not how the Bible describes life at work together. It describes not just one leader. Yeah, Pastor Joe Casigli is our new senior leader, praise God. But he would be the first to tell you that there's just not one leader. But there are many leaders with many different gifts in our Christian body. And that we don't rule from on high. But that we're knee-deep in the thick of things, equipping God's people for works of ministry. I love the fact that we have so many volunteer leaders in this place. Gifted individuals that share their passion in their passion areas and they serve. Just think about that. We did a series on gifted. Do you remember that? When I I gave out a spiritual gift analysis and as invited you, you know, how would you share those gifts? The, The worship ministry. I don't often call out a cello. But somehow that that connected, you know, Beth Ann Marciano and Kazakhstan leaders of Brazil mission trips, uh, the the people in the parking lot, the volunteers that go in children's ministry, that work in our youth, that are here doing the altar ge- guild for communion to, to happen every week, the lay ministers that come and serve, the worship team and all their gifts, and I could go on and on, and I miss all, all kinds of people. But you understand, and just think about this. What if there wasn't a tech crew on the weekends? What would happen? Uh, I would have using my voice like this and say, hey people! No, but, but, but really um, that's just a helpful example, right? The, the people, a couple of them are just a month. In the booth, in the tech booth right now, serving, using their gifts. If you aren't using your gifts in this place, you know, call me. Call the church office. Think about how you might be able to serve in this one body with the giftedness that God has given you. Everyone contributing. That's what it means. Working together needs everyone contributing for the benefit of the church. The third thing is this that working together will not be stress free. I live in a family of eight in a house that is probably 1,100 square feet, I don't know, but when I live in a house with seven other people, it's not gonna be stress-free. Conflict's gonna happen, and it does. We have our fair share, and it probably does in in your household too, but that's the beauty of it. When people, as diverse as we are, working together with everybody contributing, we gotta understand that this kind of growth is going to bring conflict. It's going to bring pain. And it's inevitable. It's not whether or not it's going to happen, but what happens when we actually do this thing, becoming Christ followers, building Christ followers, but also bringing Christ to people. It's it's not that it it won't happen, but it's how we act towards one another while we are serving together. That's why St. Paul says in Ephesians 4, we walk humbly. We're patient with one another. We're trying to maintain this this bond of peace. That's why he puts that up front. You know, the uh, bearing with one another. In the New Living Translation, it says it this way. Making allowance for each other's faults. In other words, in in, in walking together in a manner worthy of our calling, when we put up with each other and their sin and we forgive one another, that's how we make allowance for each other's faults or that's how uh, we walk together in a manner worthy of our calling when we sin against one another there's forgiveness that's extended and that the relationship continues healthy growing churches are wonderfully diverse doing things in in life together and it's, there's going to have conflict but we walk in a, a manner worthy of our calling we do life together with our diversity We do life together that everyone contributes. And we do life together and it won't be stress free. All with the goal, the Bible says, with the goal of verses 13 and 15, that we grow up to maturity. Because there is, in the end, only one faith, one baptism. One Lord of all who's called each and every one of us. And I love what the Bible says in Philippians. That this Jesus who started and began a good work in you, he's going to carry that forward until the day of completion of, in, in Christ Jesus. That this Jesus is going to keep you in faith, in the one true faith, until he comes again. That's a beautiful thing. We praise God. How do we do that then? Well, we keep coming to worship regularly. We receive his forgiveness in this place. We go to Bible studies. We're in touch with each other as Christians, building up each other in Christ. You know, I remember uh, how old this church is. It's going to be 51 in December. I I remember that because I'm just a year younger. I'll be 50 in December. This church will be 51. And I want you to think about all the generations that are going to come after you all these generations right now who are younger, who are growing up in a maturity, how do we walk in a manner worthy that they can see Christ in us? Because this church isn't just a building, is it? It's people. It's people with each other working together as God called us to do. And I pray that as we do that, this life at work, individually in our vocation and collectively as a body, I pray that we would understand work to be a gift from God and that we would cheerfully accept that gift as one from God's gracious hand. Amen? We get the privilege of receiving Christ himself in in, in Holy Communion. And so I pray as I uh, prepare this table, would you take a moment right now, bow your heads, and think about these things. Will you close your eyes, bow your heads... And would you take some silent moments. Confess where you need God's grace to be in your life. Is there a sin that feels like a big root right now? When have you sinned against God in thought, word, and deed? When you failed to do what you should have done. When you went against God's word. And confess that to him right now. As you've confessed, uh, you've called me out to say publicly back to you God's words. So I say in his stead and by his command, your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And God's people would say, Amen.